On November 1st, the state's Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board issued its recommendations to the governor and state legislature for the coming fiscal year on how New York should allocate resources to address the opioid crisis in New York, which claimed more than 6,000 lives in 2022, by some estimates. To discuss the plan, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room once again by Ashley Livingston, a settlement board member who serves as co-chair of Friends of Recovery, Warren and Washington. Welcome back to the show, Ashley. Thank you for having me, David. So again, the report from the board, much like last year, includes an emphasis on uh, overdose prevention centers, which, uh, for listeners who aren't familiar, are essentially sites where New Yorkers could utilize uh, drugs in a a safe and supervised uh, setting and also have access to other health services. And we've actually got two examples of that being run by nonprofits in New York City right now. The governor and her administration rejected that request last year, but you, while emphasizing you know, the importance of these, seem to have a, a new a, approach to the issue as well this year. Can you talk about how this remains a priority, but also how you're hoping to, I guess, move the football down the field, so to speak? So, of course, it does remain a priority because they are evidence-based. Along with other health care, they also provide a linkage to community services. They do great work, right? It's not just allowing someone to come in and and use. I mean, if that's what they want, great. But, you know, it's really treating an individual as a human, and these are evidence-based. So um, last year, I believe the governor rejected them because they are still not sanctioned by the federal government. So she keeps saying, oh, well, we have to wait, we have to wait. Um, But she actually doesn't need to wait. So the federal government actually put out monies to research both the New York City one and the one that's going to be opening in Pennsylvania, hopefully soon. And so we are going at it from a research perspective. And we're asking that since she's saying, oh, well, this is not sanctioned federally, so we can't spend dollars on something that's not federally sanctioned, well, we're asking then that they spend money to do research. So this would be a supplement to the funds that they'll be getting from the federal government already. And so we would like money to go to the two that are currently operating to do research um, on the efficacy, which most people that have a brain have read and know that they are effective. But since people keep asking for data, we want to give it to them. Um, You know, a lot of times naysayers will say, oh, well, Canada or you know, this country is not like ours, will then allow us to spend money on research so that we can prove that they are effective in our country. We'd also like to see other OPCs developed and researched from the ground up in other areas, right? New York City is wonderful, and I think it's amazing that they're doing this, but we need to see, you know, the evidence from others because I believe we'll continue to get pushback, especially from, like, upstate elected who will be like, oh, well, New York City is not like, I don't know, let's just say like Ithaca. You know what I mean? And so really it's, it's a matter of researching. We're asking for money to implement these services and research them. Well, sticking with the harm reduction focus, which is what we're talking about, the updated report uh, includes a recommendation for demonstration projects and research on other forms of medication-assisted treatment for opioid use disorders. What would that mean in terms of changing uh, the status quo uh, when it comes to uh, medication-assisted treatment? Um, So currently, again, other countries are so far in front of us 
And so we are seeing places like Canada and, and Norway and other places, they're at the place where they're actually prescribing hydromorphone and diacetylmorphine to individuals that have an opioid use disorder. So again, this is another form of research because currently um, hydromorphone is authorized by the FDA. However, it's authorized to treat pain. So I'm sure you've heard of Dilaudid, correct? Mm -hmm. So that is what it is. So what we're asking is that we'll need somebody, once they put the RFA out, assuming the governor allows us to go through, we will need someone to research the effectiveness of these treatments on opioid use disorder. Are they more effective than the forms that we currently have, whether that's naltrexone shot, Subutex, Suboxone, Methadone, are these more effective? Um, And hydromorphone and diacetylmorphine have been effective in other countries to treat OUD. So this is really just giving us more tools in our tool bag to treat opioid use disorder. Well, I want to pivot to the issue of workforce, which was a major priority uh, for your board chair when we spoke with her. But first, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. Uh, This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Ashley Livingston, a member of the state's Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board, who serves as co-chair of the Friends of Recovery, Warren and Washington. So one of the experiences over the past year as the state tried to dole out some of the funds that you guys recommended spending uh, in last year's report was a, a real lack of personnel to actually do some of the work in certain situations. And to that end, you are looking to build out the available workforce. And some of the things that stuck out to me uh, included building up administrative staff uh, to free up clinical staff to focus on providing services, as well as establishing paid internship programs across the substance use disorder and mental health fields, as well as a a loan forgiveness program targeting uh, agencies and organizations with annual budgets of less than $10 million. On the workforce front, what, if anything, stood out to you? Maybe it's those projects uh, or maybe it's something else. In general, like it says at the beginning, you know, the board heard a lot from a lot of organizations and the common theme that we kept hearing over and over again was that we don't have staff. We can't even apply for grants because we don't have the staff to do that. And also smaller organizations came and presented like community-based organizations and others. um, And they don't even have the manpower to do even the work that they're doing, right? They're stretched thin. What we tried to do with this was hit the things that we were hearing from the field. So in terms of looking to address the administrative workload, um, adding staff so that way those that are providing, you know, direct services have more time as well as support instead of if you have 45 minutes with a client, but you're expected to like do 15 minutes of paperwork, then you really only have 30. Or if you're, you know, having to take so many much time out of your day to type case notes, like maybe that's something that an administrative person could do. Like you might write them when you're in group, somebody can type them up, you know, So really kind of taking some of that burden off staff, which can prevent fatigue as well as stress. And I really, one that I really like is um, to inform organizations on, you know, like wellness, like goals and needs. 
because we see like a lot of turnover in this field. And I think that a lot of times everybody is just so overworked, right? And, and that includes administrators that like that wellness is not always priority, which I believe it should be. I just feel like, you know, that was something that was really important. And I think that it can kind of keep us from losing staff the way that we are and others have agreed. And the loan forgiveness program, um, like within the community-based organizations, I think a lot of times you see individuals that will go into the public service, right? And maybe the community-based organization is a non-government organization. They're not, so people aren't going to go where they can't get the loan forgiveness. So if we can have a program that's comparable to what they could do if they went to public service, if their organization is not in the list, right? That's going to bring more people in and give them a reason to stay. I really think too, in increasing staff training is going to help because it is a technique to decrease staff burnout because you're investing in your staff. So I want to pivot now to a priority that's towards the bottom in terms of funding allocation, but I think has a big effect on the overall success of the money you're looking to spend, which has to do with public awareness. And the board is looking to invest in campaigns that include anti-stigma and anti-nimbyism. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the importance of that type of investment? So we can implement and say that we want to give all of this money to develop all of these programs, right? But the problem lies that there's still a lot of stigma that exists around substance use, mental health even. For instance, there's, there's um, a place that's trying to go in Albany, and they are being met by resistance. Mm-hmm. And so NIMBYism stands for not in my backyard, for those of you that don't know. So, like, people might say, oh, yeah, we need more programs. We need more programs. But then when they try to bring the programs into the community, the community says, oh, well, we need more programs, but not in our community. And so if we have so many communities saying, not in my community, not here, not here, then where? So we know that there's a need for these services, but then we're not having a space available for these programs, it doesn't matter how much money we give to implement new services or, you know, do anything if we're not going to be able to place programs in communities. So I think it's really a matter of educating people. Like, I remember we were going, in my community specifically up north, we were looking at um, having, like, a, a medical village, different, different things, right? And so, like, detox, stuff like that. And, like, some community members were, like, outraged. They were, like, people are going to be coming in to, to Glen's Falls. And it's, like, no, actually no, right? You're just going to be servicing your community members, and we're not going to be sending our people down to Schenectady and Albany. They're actually going to be able to get treatment in their community, which I think is important. Um, so I feel like with these campaigns, instead of just having, you know, campaigns about, like, substance use and naloxone and other things that are important, I think that it's really important that we start like an educational campaign to let people know because a lot of times we're still criminalized um, and a lot of us are not, we, we don't even participate in criminal behavior. 
um, unless it's like selling drugs. But at that point, if someone is trying to enter in or change their ways, then chances are that's not even what they're doing, right? Um, so we have to stop seeing it as like, oh, it's going to bring like our housing market down and devalue our community. It, it's an asset and it's a value. And so I think that we really need to start to educate, you know, when we become productive members of society, we pay taxes, we rent homes, we buy homes, we buy from the local supermarkets. Like, there's all of these benefits that I don't think that people see um, because they're too blinded, right, by their own opinions that have been put into their head for, for years. And I, I would like to change that. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking Sorry. with Ashley Livingston. She is a member of the state's Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board and co-chair of Friends of Recovery Warren in Washington. Ashley, as always, thank you so much for making the time. And I appreciate uh, the passion and fervor that you bring to this topic. Thank you. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.